take our Bibles to James chapter 4. Good to see you in the house of the Lord next to the last Sunday in July. Next Sunday, uh, we'll wrap up this series in James, uh, Journey in James, and uh, read chapter 5, if you would, before next Sunday morning. Looking forward to wrapping up. Uh, what a practical book that uh, encourages us uh, as a body of believers to walk in uh, the, the, the will of the Lord and allow his wisdom to infiltrate our hearts and our lives and direct us. I'm uh, looking forward next Sunday at the end of the service. We'll be commissioning our Romanian mission team and we our uh, flight leaves at 6 p.m. Uh, next Sunday. And uh, so we'll be uh, arriving at the airport probably around 4 and uh, headed on mission to uh, Romania. We're doing uh, this week, uh, this weekend, Friday and Saturday, and even today, uh, we are uh, completing our Kids Blast VBS. Uh, and uh, just looking forward to God has done some amazing things. Uh, there's nothing like sharing the, the gospel and what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary and uh, the Holy Spirit of God opening someone's eyes to the truth of the gospel. Yesterday, uh, a young man uh, came out of the Bible study or came up at the end and uh, uh, it wanted to receive Christ as a Savior and had an awesome privilege of sharing what Jesus did and how he died on the cross and rose again and uh, had the privilege of leading him to Christ. There is no greater joy as a pastor than to see people taking their next step and, and watching them choose to follow Jesus Christ. And uh, yesterday, four young people uh, placed their faith in Jesus, and it makes every single penny that's spent, every uh, effort, all of the hard work that's gone on for an entire year since last summer in preparation, it makes it worth every single uh, ounce of energy and, and money that's spent in order that those people may trust Jesus Christ. One of the young people that got saved said, we, we saw our a sign. He said, how did you find out about us? We saw a sign over by Chick-fil-A and Costco. And uh, you just never know how God uses it. We pray uh, for months leading up to it that God would soften the hearts of young people, that uh, they would understand their need of the Savior. And then we pray that they will see those signs. And so maybe you came as a, as a result of seeing that or your, your kid came or saw it online, someone shared it online. What an awesome thing to know that Jesus Christ loves us and desires to reach us where we're at and uh, move us closer in relationship. And, you know, do you wonder, one, as we get in our text this morning in James 4, do you know what it's like to just take and dream? Dream dreams. What is it? What could this look, life look like? And uh, to dream about what the future may look like for you or you and your family, you and your kids, your your grandkids and maybe different seasons of life. One of the things I've always loved about my wife is she lives large, she, she dreams big, she has great goals and, and aspirations. And uh, one of the things that whenever we were engaged, we were dreaming about what it would be like to uh, one day be married. And, uh, and we talked about, uh, believe it or not, in the first week of dating, we talked about marriage. And you said, wow, that's, you know, I dated for 10 years. You know, well, uh, we dated for like uh, four weeks and I had already bought her ring. Uh, I knew that she was the person I was going to marry the very first week of dating. And you say, how is that even possible? God just showed us that. He, he, he brought us to that place and... And so we dreamed about what life would be like as a, as a married couple. And then we dreamed about what it would look like to, to have children of our own. And 
you know, some of the most incredible uh, times of life have been as a married man. And, and I look back and we talked about, I was a student pastor at the time. We dreamed about, you know, doing student ministry together. And some of my greatest memories revolve around working with students, working with teenagers that and investing and pouring into their lives and seeing them choose to follow Jesus with their life. And we've had incredible times in youth ministry and, and now uh, today even baptizing some of those, those youth, uh, their kids now and seeing them grow up in church and seeing them choose to follow Jesus. We dreamed of having a family and what that might look like one day and never in our wildest dreams did we dream that today we would have two 13-year-olds uh, that are getting ready to enter 8th grade, a 17-year-old getting ready to enter his senior year of high school, and a 21-year-old getting ready to enter her senior year of college. I didn't see all that from the beginning, but God did, and he had plans for our lives, and you know, it, it definitely has, hasn't been an easy ride. Uh, God brought us through deep waters. He brought us through fire. We dealt with trials along the way, but well, the one thing I can say is he was always faithful He's always been faithful, and even as we were talking, joy does come in the morning. Those periods of, of, of sadness and, and dealing with trials, God does have joy on the other side of that. And, and we've seen God do some amazing things. We dreamed about the past that our children would one day take and their future. And we, we prayed for our, our children, for their mates, their future spouses, and and even today, still praying that as they get to that age, that God is preparing exactly the right man or the right woman that they'll one day marry and, and begin their life with. And we're praying for this. So it's exciting to, to dream about those things. We dream about the church and what God is doing here and what he desires to do in our midst. We dream about future buildings and, and expansions. We dream about new opportunities that the church will have to minister in our community we are so blessed to see so many lives being transformed here at Calvary. Don't ever take for granted. I was talking to someone just this week, and I was like, just this year alone, we've seen 32 new members and like 53 total combined family members join the church. We've had 13 uh, take their next step in baptism. We'll have baptism here in a, just a few weeks to the beginning of September, and we're going to see even more people take that next step in their walk with Christ. Don't take that for granted. But folks, it's awesome to dream. We dream of what plans haven't yet been discovered that God has for our lives. We love to dream, and dreaming is good. But this morning, as we look at chapter 4 of the book of James, James is trying to help us with, with practicality of, of looking to the future and what God has for us in the spiritual journey. Different books of the Bible have different effects on our lives. The book of Ruth will comfort us. But the book of James will challenge us this morning. We must allow the word of God to speak to us through the Holy Spirit and guide us as we desire to follow him. Chapter 4 picks up where the last part of chapter 3 left off last week. And that last paragraph of chapter 3 talks about earthly wisdom and how it's unspiritual, how it's demonic. It produces jealousy and selfish ambition. It causes disorder and James says, every evil practice. So if we seek after the things of the world, he says, the outcome is certain. It's going to be evil, worldly, sinful, devilish. It's, it's evil in nature. And it produces all these things. But he says, we learn this is what the world today looks like. James is writing in the 
early New Testament period, and the, the church is, is very young, it's very uh, organic, everything is just happening in, in real time. As he's writing to the church, now we fast forward to 2023, it looks very much the same way. As we look around our world today, at, at the evil that's happening, at the division, I think our, our nation is more divided today than we've been in my lifetime. And and we're, there's polar opposites. Everybody is, is claiming one side or the other. And the reality is, is God wants to get to the heart of the matter. He wants us to understand his word speaks volumes into our life. So let's pick up our text in James chapter 4. Look at verse 1 as we begin. It says, what causes quarrels? What causes fights or fighting among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war Within you imagine getting this letter, imagine reading this, this epistle, and understanding. Uh, you can almost hear James speaking here. He says, Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not what, church? Ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. He says, you adulterers people. He says, do you not know that the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He says, or do you suppose it's no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he is made to dwell in us? I love verse 6, he says, but he gives more what, church? Grace. He gives more what, church? Grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives what, church? Grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God. He says, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched. And he says, and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak only evil uh, against one another, brothers. He says, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, he says, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts? God, these next few moments, Lord, would you arrest our attention and allow us to focus on this passage in James chapter 4, and Lord, that the power that you have to transform our lives. God, would you radically do something so supernatural, Lord, that Man can't take credit. Man can't say, look what I did. But Lord, I pray as we look around, we'll see, look at what God is doing. Look how God is changing and transforming lives. And that's really what James is all about and what he's encouraging the church to do. God, would you speak to our hearts? Would you transform our lives? We'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As James is writing, he says... We have really a, a couple of options in this life. He says we can be friends with the world or you can be friends with God, but you can't have it both ways. He says James is trying to get us to realize, he's saying being a friend of the world is not a good thing. He says there's a battle going on. Each one of us 
uh, who know Christ as Savior are facing a spiritual warfare. He says, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves falling in love with the things of the world. He said, don't be a friend of the world. Don't be someone who's falling in line with the things of this world. And Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, the tricks of the devil. He's seeking to destroy us. So what causes that fighting amongst us? The devil tries to get us to give in to selfish and worldly lusts, and those selfish desires cause us to give in to sinful passions. What causes so much fighting in our world today? What causes so much discord and division and hatred and wars? The answer to that question is worldliness. When we fall in love with the world, our desire is going to be, what's good for me? How do I advance? How do I elevate myself? How do I make myself look better in the eyes of, of the world? And so that worldliness is going to cause conflict. It's going to create division and, and strife amongst us. What's the cause of conflict in our lives? We could easily pass off the word wars to mean world wars. I, I think of Ukraine and, and Russia I think of uh, the, all of the years we've been over in Afghanistan and the Middle East and Iraq. And, and you think of those things and it's easy to let your mind go to that word wars. But that's not what he's talking about. That's not the context of what James is speaking. He's talking to the early church. He's speaking about interpersonal relationships. And when he talks about wars, he's talking about the continual state of agitation that's bubbling up below the surface of one person's attitude towards another. It's speaking of a grudge hidden in their heart towards someone else, maybe because of a previous injury or a previous injustice. And if we're not careful, it'd be something that will destroy us from within. Complete forgiveness has not occurred in our situation in our lives. There's a hidden war going in, and if we don't deal with it, it will destroy us, and it will wreck our relationship, our fellowship, our close, intimate fellowship with the Lord. And so, if you picture a believer as a volcano, think about a volcano. There's an inner war. There's an agitation going on deep inside of a volcano as we were just in uh, the Grand Teton National Park in Yellowstone a month ago. I remember hearing about all of the, the volcanic activity that's going on underneath all of that area. And as you're traveling around, I mean, uh, my son, my younger son is reminding us, he says, they're due any day to erupt. I mean, I'm like, well, great, thanks, Malachi. I mean, you know, nothing like uh, putting everybody on edge. He says, it hasn't erupted in all these years. And you, you see these geysers and you're, you're seeing how beautiful everything is and the steam and all that stuff. And it's all volcanic. All of this stuff is bubbling under the surface. And so if you imagine the, the, the Christian heart in life, if we don't deal with, with, with strife and, and, and trials that come our way and, and submit to God's direction and leading and forgive people who've wronged us, if we're not careful, that, that bubbling, that agitation is growing with inside us. And James says that, that fighting, this is what he's talking about, the warring. He says, when we give into the wisdom of this world, we become friends with the world. We become at odds with 
God. James says our conflicts come from our worldliness. Maybe you're thinking, what's the big, big deal, Pastor David, if I do it my way? What's the big deal if I just say, you know what, I'm going to put God on autopilot and just kind of let him do his thing. But I'm just going to go my own way. I'm going to try my own path. I'm going to chart my own, get my own direction. What's the big deal? James says it causes two major problems if you know Christ is your Savior. He says, one, we become an enemy with God. When we choose the world as our friend, when we choose to make God, we make God our enemy. Anytime we think we know better than God, we get into trouble. In fact, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says, For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from who, church? The world. So what's he saying is, if we say, hey, I think I know better than God, that's exactly what Satan did. That's what Adam and Eve said, oh, we're going to become like God. And we're going to actually become smarter. We're going to be, and the world is telling us, you do it your way. Have it your way. Just do it any old way you want to. But the reality is, it makes us an enemy of God. When we choose the way of the world, we become an enemy. He says, that do it your own way. Have it your own way. If you want it, go after it. Look out only for yourself. The world's way is selfish. It's prideful and Church, when we adopt that philosophy, it makes us unfaithful in our relationship to God. James says we become adulterers and adulteresses. Folks, that might be, seem shocking, but what he's saying is we're cheating on that relationship with God. Instead of giving our all to him and saying, I want to walk in intimate fellowship with God. Instead, I'm saying, I think I know better than God, and I'm going to do it my own way. And he says, we're adulteresses. We're, we're, we're causing strife and contention in that relationship. And as shocking as that might sound, that's how God sees us as being unfaithful to him. That it, we become the envy of God. When we accept Christ as our Savior, the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit comes to live within our hearts, and He is a jealous God. He's jealous for our affection. When we lose our focus and get tempted to, to, to stray from our relationship with God, it hurts the heart of God. He created us for one purpose, church, to worship Him. He created us for one reason alone, to glorify and praise the name of Jesus. So when we decide to go the way of the world, we're saying, the, what, the thing he created us for, we're saying, I no longer want that. I'm choosing my own way. I'm choosing to follow my dreams, my desires, and we become an envy of God. How can we tell who ranks higher in our love and affection? Each one of us, obviously, are acquainted with the world. We have to live in it. But that would be considered an acquaintance. It's not really a friend. But start asking yourself, what are my interests? What are the things that motivate me to get up out of bed every morning? What are the interests that I'm primarily wrapped up in in this world? When the world is, is, is the thing that motivates us to drive us to say, Pastor, I just want the American dream. Is there anything wrong with that? Did you realize that the American dream is contrary to the gospel like hold on pastor david i want a two-story house with a white picket fence and two cars in the driveway and 2.5 kids and a labrador retriever what's so wrong with that 
What's so wrong with that? The reality is, is if that's the thing that motivates us in this world is to chase after the American dream, so to speak, to have all these things, all of this stuff, that becomes our motivation, our God, the thing that drives us, the thing that gets us out of bed every morning. And folks, that is contrary to the gospel where he is, we created for his glory, to worship him, to put him first in our life. And folks, he has to come above all other things, above our spouse, above our children, above our job, our career, all of those things, God is to have number one place in our lives. And then it's your spouse, then it's your children, and folks, your church, and somewhere else down there say, well, my job's going to have to get in line, take a number. Uh, HR's not going to like that, but the reality is, is if you're truly living God, the life that God intends for us to, it's not based on all the things that we can accumulate. It's about the kingdom of God and the impact we can make on the, our neighbors and the nations with the gospel of Jesus. And folks, that ought to motivate us. It ought to move us. Parents, what are your life goals? Are they temporal? Are they eternal? Are they found in the world? Are they found in the word of God? Because you see what happens is when our, our goals, our, our direction is found in the word of God, it changes our perspective about what's truly most important. A man's best friend should not be his dog. It should be his God. Can I get a witness this morning? It ought not to be a Labrador. Uh, and folks, we have one at our house. But I'm saying that's not the most important thing. Our motivation ought to be our relationship with God Almighty. If we are consumed with the affairs of this world, we have become a friend with the world. Secondly, he says we become friends with God. In verse 6, instead of running to a friendship with the world, James tells us we should desire to be friends with God. We ought to desire that intimate fellowship and relationship with God. We should desire that close fellowship. James tells us that God gives more grace. I'm so thankful for the grace of God. Grace is God's unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. And in our sin and wickedness, God showed his grace toward us. Romans 5, 8 says God showed his love toward us. And then while we were still sinners, what did Christ do? He died for us. He, that's saving grace. Even though we're all sinners, God showed grace to us. So how do we get more grace? He says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the who? The humble. He gives grace to those who humbly submit to God and say, God, I want your, your strength, your grace, your mercy. He opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble humility is the complete opposite of pride. This grace here in verse 6 is not talking about saving grace because he's writing to believers, who've, people who've already placed their faith and trust in Jesus. So what's he saying? What James is speaking of is greater grace. He gives us more grace. Grace is given by God to live this life in a fallen world. You see, he knows what tomorrow is going to hold in your life. And so he's going to give you grace for tomorrow, tomorrow. A week ago, my next door neighbor, early 60s, took her last breath in this life and stepped out into the next life in eternity. I shared with my, the husband, I said, 
God only gives us the grace that we need for that very moment. There's something called dying grace, that when this life has come to an end, God gives us grace for that very moment that you can't experience at any other time. He doesn't give it to us when we don't need it. When my mom died a little over a year ago, he gave us such peace and calm. But folks, it was dying grace of saying, you know what? She's going to be so much better off in the presence of God with a brand new body, a brand new mind, folks. No, no osteoporosis that is causing her organs and, and everything to cave in. None of that. She has a brand new body and she's in the presence of God for all eternity. You know what? God gave our family such grace and complete peace at the very moment that she stepped out into to heaven's glory, folks. There was not a tear being shed in our entire family because we know exactly where she's at. And I was explaining to them what happens is when you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he gives you grace for that moment. And tomorrow when you get up, he gives us grace for that day. The next day, he gives us what we need for that day. I call it the manna principle. And in the sense, God gave the children of Israel what they needed for that very day. If they took too much, it's spoiled. So don't worry about tomorrow. Say, well, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do next year this time. Well, God's already got it figured out, church. He's got it all detailed. All the plans are already made. And what we need to do is be faithful today where he's placed us right now. I want to be faithful in the house of God. I want to be faithful in the word of God. I want to be faithful on my knees in prayer. I want to be faithful that, that when God, if he were to come back today, Christ were to come back today, he finds me faithful. He finds me faithfully serving my Savior. And so what he said, Augustine says, God gives what he demands. Do you believe that this morning? God gives us exactly what he demands of us. This verse means there will always be enough grace, no matter our situation or need. In Hebrews 4, 16, he says, let us sin with confidence, with timidity, with scaredness. No, he says, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find what, church? Grace to help in our time of need. Paul said in Romans chapter 20, B, or the second part of that verse, he says, Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. See, what happens is Paul says, or James has given us a clear path to experiencing that close, intimate relationship with God. Maybe we've strayed over the last few months. Maybe we've strayed over the last few years. And you say, Pastor... How do I get back on track spiritually? How do I experience that grace of God once again? He says in verse 7, submit to God. Submit to his will. Submit to his plans for my life. What happens is so often we're running, trying to figure out, hey, Pastor, I, don't, I, I know I should be in church. I, I know I should be serving God. I know I should be doing these things. But something is pulling us away. It's the, it's the appeal of this world. It's the appeal of, uh, of pride, of, of selfishness, of, of jealousy, of all the things that this world is about. What is he saying? He says, submit to God. Allow him to control. Submit to his will. Submit to his plans for, God, for, for our lives. Then he goes on, he says, secondly, resist the devil. And the second part of verse 7, 
He says, resist the devil and he will flee. He will flee. You ever say, get thee behind me, Satan? Get behind me, Satan. Not today, Satan. Not going to happen. Everything he's trying to do, and sometimes it might be at work, it might be at home. You might say, whoo, Satan is all over trying to tear my home up. You know what? You say, not today, and you go to the word of God and say, Jesus Christ, I'm claiming the blood of Jesus Christ on this situation. I'm claiming his grace, his mercy. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. And then verse 80 says, draw near to God. Draw near to God. Draw near in relationship. Spend time in his word. Spend time in prayer. Spend time fellowshipping, commuting with God. And then he says in the last part of of verse 8 and and into verse 9, he says, deal with your sin. In other words, what's he saying? He says, deal with, he says, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. When we get serious about our relationship with Jesus, we don't want to go to bed at night with unconfessed sin in our life. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just. We talk about the injustices of this world. Do you realize we serve a God who is just? A God who's gracious? A God who's full of mercy? He's long-suffering. He's so patient. He's so forgiving because we often keep going the wrong every day, going our own way, trying to figure it, trying to make it for honor. He says, confess your sins. He is faithful. He's just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what that intimate relationship looks like. And then he says, acknowledge our dependence upon God. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and what does he do? He will exalt you. He will lift you up. You don't have to go out there and build a name for yourself. Jesus Christ will exalt us in due time. Declare our complete dependence on God's grace. In verses 11 and 12, he warns us about judging other people. He says, God is the only one who can do this. So then he wraps up chapter 4, and he says, the future... This future in this life, in this world, is not guaranteed. Now, if you know Christ is your Savior, our future is settled in heaven. But he says the future in this world is not guaranteed. We are not guaranteed. He says, teach us to number our days. That we might apply our hearts unto righteousness. Folks, the the reality this morning is we're not guaranteed another moment here in this life. In chapter 4, verse 13, he says, come now, you would say, Today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town, spend a year there and trade and make a profit. He says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? He says, you are a mist or a vapor that appears for just a little second in time. Just a moment in time, a little time. And then what, church? Vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that. As it is, your, all your boast and your arrogance, he says, all such boasting is evil. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is what, church? Sin. James finishes chapter 4, he says, by underscoring the significance of not boasting and bragging of our, of our business ventures and the things that we're doing in our own strength. 
He says we are all completely dependent upon God. He says we shouldn't boast in anything. In fact, the only thing we can boast in is the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished in our life. That's all we can boast in. Nothing that we've done, but all we can boast in is, is what Jesus Christ has done. How often, though, do we make plans and fail to involve God in the process? Verse 13 says, we make these plans, we project how we'll prosper, yet we don't know what tomorrow will bring. Sometimes we make plans, and the country song says, God laughs. Isn't that how it works? Sometimes we go through life and we're making plans and we're saying, I'm going to go do this, and I'm going to go do that, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, I'm going to go here, and I'm going to go to that place. And we're making all these plans about our life. Sometimes we make those plans, but God is sovereign over life and death. James says, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. He says, what is your life? It is a vapor that appears for just a little time and then vanishes. They always say, a watch pot never boils. You're cooking in the, in the kitchen. Maybe you're going to put some pasta on or something. And you turn on that, you get that pan full of water. And, and you, you start the, the burner and you get it all high. And you're, you're sitting there and you see the little bubbles coming up. And you're like, is this thing ever going to boil? Is it ever going to boil? And you're standing there and you're waiting. And you're, you're waiting and you're getting impatient. And you're waiting. He says, Finally, you see that vapor start to come up as the, as the water starts to, to rage in there as it begins to boil. And that vapor that comes up, that's what James says, our life is nothing but a vapor that is just momentarily seen and it fleets. It disappears, it vanishes. Our life is short. It appears for a moment in time and then it's gone forever. See, Pastor, what's the application? Church, our time on earth is very short let's make sure what we do actually counts for christ and his kingdom let's make sure that our life is something that's going to matter in light of eternity verse 15 says instead you ought to say if the lord wills we'll live and we'll do this or we'll do that anything we boast outside of the gospel is arrogance and james calls it evil but verse 17 says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Church, our submission, our humble submission to God's will means humble obedience to his plan, his purpose. For our lives. You're saying, God, I can't do this apart from your power. God, I can't live this life apart from your strength. And to attempt to do that is sudden failure. And James says, it's sin. There's a Chinese parable about a man, Chinese man who had one horse and one son, and one day the horse, out of control, wandered away with the boy on its back, and they were both lost. The story says that the man's neighbors came to console him the next day, and they said, we're so sorry that you lost your horse and your son. They said, it's so bad 
But the man said, how do you know it's bad? The next day, the horse and the boy wandered back home, trailing behind the horse were 13 wild horses that came right into his corral. The neighbors came back to congratulate the man for having his horse and his boy back and bringing back 13 new wild horses. They said, this is good. The man said, well, how do you know it's good? The next day, the boy was trying to break one of the wild horses and he was bucked off and he broke his leg. The, the same neighbors came back and said, we're so sorry. It's so bad. The man said, well, how do we know it's bad? The next day, a warlord came to confiscate all the able-bodied young men for war, but the man's son could not go because of his leg. And it was good. You see, sometimes we could look at our current circumstances and say it's bad. God, I don't understand. God, why me? Why am I facing this? Why are we going through such deep waters? God, why am I going through the fire? God, why am I being tested on every side? Why is nothing seem to be going my way? Any of us there? Any of us have those moments where, God, why am I, what is it you're trying to show me? Lord, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to sit right now at your feet and I want you to teach me. But you know what? Often the problem is we want God to show us his plan for the next 20 years today. Am I the only one that feels like that? I, I, God, if you could just show me what the next five years looks like, I mean, I'll be, I'll be right on it. God, if you'll just show me what the next... I'm sitting here thinking, I've got a kid graduating from high school next year. I've got a kid graduating from college. Where are they going to work? How are they going to live in this environment? I mean, interest rates are sky high. Housing expenses are sky high. Where are they? They're going to be living at home forever. I mean, <laughs> I'm sitting here going, oh my goodness. All the thoughts of one day being an empty nester. I mean, never going to... If we could just figure it... Am I the, anybody else with me? But you know what? God is on his throne. He says, I've got gotcha. you. My, my son loves to say, I got gotcha. you. Son, don't say that. <laughs> but sometimes God's got us. He's got it all planned out. And you know what? Let me give you the 411. If he told you what the next five years of your life would look like, it would, you would have a cardiac arrest and be dead and I'd be preaching your funeral. Am I right? If he told us what the next 20 years, it would be another Jim Jones and every one of us would be dead. I mean, we'd all be dead and we'd be on the news. I mean, uh, we don't want that. So, I mean, God's not going to tell us what the next 20 years look. What does he say? He says, I have a plan. If you'll trust me, if you'll follow me, if you'll submit, if you'll draw near to me, I will show you great and mighty things which you know not. And as the song rooted said, he's got us. As the winds come, as, the, as all of the trials do come, he says we're grounded, we're rooted. God's got a plan, he's got a purpose for our lives. He goes on, he says, folks, we shouldn't boast about the future. 
But when we put Christ first and seek him, he takes care of tomorrow. He's sovereign overall. We can trust him completely. And if you know Christ is your Lord and Savior, our future is forever settled in heaven. Well, Pastor, what happens if the economy really goes south? Let me give you the 411 on that. God's got it. Well, what if I don't get that raise or that promotion or that new job? God's got it. God, what if he doesn't answer the prayer the way I've been praying it? He's got it. Well, what if my kids don't? God's got it. He's got it. His sovereignty is over all things. And when we trust him completely, you know what? It's okay to dream about the future. It's okay to set goals. It's okay to make plans. James is not saying, don't be wise. He's not saying, just fly by the seat of your pants. And we're just going to kind of, I'm not saving for retirement. I'm counting on the rapture. Well, you're not staying in my house. Sorry. <laughs> Hope you got a rich uncle somewhere. I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, but the reality is he's not, saying not, he's not saying don't make plans. He's not saying don't be smart. Just don't do it without the leading of the Holy Spirit. Let him direct your path. Let him guide your future. Let him drive and make the plans for your life. We should strive to be a friend of God. We should strive to experience his greater grace each and every day. His plans and ways are always higher. And church, we can completely trust in him. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts this morning?